Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. So this week I am going to tell you the case of an Edinburgh murder that happened just two years ago. But for those listeners that have stuck with us from the start, I'm actually going to add on a little bit at the end some information about two of our previous cases that are in the news this week. So I thought I would kind of fill you in on what is happening with those two. So stick around at the end if you want that. But first off, I am going to tell you the story of the murder of Bradley Welsh. So Samantha, I take it you are very aware of the murder of Bradley Welsh. Yes, yep, I have heard of it. Yeah. I've had it recommended to us to do as well before. Oh, lovely, um, great. So, well done. I didn't tell you, but... I, I just knew. Message. I just knew. Yeah, this has actually been one that I haven't seen many podcasts off before, um, which is obviously probably because it's newer, like the trial was this year. So that'll be a really good one, I think, to get into and actually find out more about. So, mm-hmm. Bradley John Welsh was born on the 4th of November in 1970. And he grew up in a council estate, which is in Morden. So Morden in Edinburgh is basically based in the south east, like southeast of the city, and it's in like kind of Liberton Way. But he grew up there with his mum Patricia and his older brother Sean. Now, through his life, and this will get mentioned later on as well, he was a huge, huge family man and was very open about the fact that he was a proper like mummy's boy, was like obsessed with his family, which is like a lovely, really lovely trait. Really, like I don't see any problem with that. At a young age, he had a lot of energy and was like a bit of a troubled child. And that is when at seven years old, he started boxing and he loved it. And I'll mention boxing loads through this story because that was his main thing. He was a fantastic boxer and actually did really well and began winning loads of titles. And by the age of 15, he actually became a champion boxer. However, his fighting didn't just stay in like boxing rings. He also did fight in the street. And actually, this went on to him fighting in football games. He was arrested numerous times at football games at the age of just 14. And he actually went to a game at like 12 years old. And this is where it all kind of began. Because as he was walking home with his family and friends, they saw the other team supporters walking towards them. And his family and friends all hid their scarves. Um, and he didn't get why they did that like why would you hide your scarf why would you not want to be proud of your football team but it was basically to save them getting beat up um, and he obviously hated that he, instead he was like oh do you know we could fight back and that's where he got that attitude from now obviously this by this point it's the 80s which is obviously the huge kind of Edinburgh football hooligans being a thing in Edinburgh and he actually supported Hibernian, which is Hibs. And that was a big thing called the Hibs Casuals. And like him and his brothers were part of that. And this is all around 1982. So do you know much about the Hibs Casuals, Samantha? If I said the Hibs Casuals, would you know what I mean by that? Um, I know a little bit, but not tons. Cool. So basically the Hibs like Casuals, or like the baby crew or whatever, were basically involved in like, basically hooliganism and like, crimes at football games but it wasn't just at like Hibs football games like of course it would be if another team came to Edinburgh they would either go to the games or like wait outside the games and then like fight with the team when they finished but it would also be that they would travel across the UK to go to games and basically fight with other teams that were playing their teams. Um, When he was 14 which is 1985 he actually set up a group called the Blackleys Baby Crew 
Um, and it actually grew, how many friends created this, but it grew to have a few couple of hundred members. And Bradley made sure that, like, basically when an Edinburgh football game was on, they would all go and fight the other team as well. So this would be, like, not just Hibs as well. This would then be, like, Scotland-England games, etc. And then eventually he joined the Hibs casuals. But that whole era of football, like, I'm quite into football. I know you're more rugby, but that whole era of football is just wild. And that's what football was all about, was just fighting and I can't even imagine, like, some games I've been to, I'm like, oh, but I can't imagine that kind of era of football. He basically became this kind of notorious person, and his name actually made people scared, but he was still really young. So him and a group of his friends, obviously, they started wanting to make money, so began selling bulks of clothes and selling them on. Now, they were known from stealing them from places in Edinburgh, such as Jenner's and other shops, and they would obviously steal these and make loads of money. But obviously... He wanted more money and like the clothes are getting him stuff, but how do you get more than that? And obviously he knows he can fight and protect himself. So in 1988, age 17, like he becomes basically a security guard. He knew that nightclubs were quite a risky place at that time. You know, ecstasy was becoming a huge thing in the city. So it was nightclub trouble. So he actually became a security guard for a club called West, um, a group of security guards, sorry, called Westlands. It's like a security agency I'm getting the kind of gist off. And he was good at this, obviously, and actually went on to secure the doors of 100 clubs in Edinburgh to this company. So it was like pubs and clubs across Edinburgh where basically he would get them contracts and everything. And he basically earned loads from this. And obviously at 18, he's probably thinking he is like elite. And he was. He'd done like, a like you know, he managed to make a huge kind of amount of money and name for himself at such a young age. He then basically started his own club nights across the city as well and got loads of money from these as well. But he actually kept his boxing up as well and he was a great um, and actually a Scottish champion. Now, he was actually set to be going to the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona for Great Britain. That is how good he was at boxing. Um, so basically, Bradley began carrying like guns and other clubs now were like, OK, this isn't just about threats. Like, there could be violence. And that made the police aware. And they began to take a closer look and actually bugged his phone in house for six months, which I don't agree with. Like, you could be however dodgy anyone assumes you to be, but bugging your house and phone, like, I just hate that kind of stuff. But anyway, he was arrested for extortion and demanding money at gunpoint at 18 years old. Now, at the trial, he was cleared of these. However, he was actually sentenced to prison for four years for carrying ammunition and menacing an estate agent which I don't know if that's maybe a property he rented or whatever happened, but he was done for that. Now, in prison, he obviously realised he did not like prison, and that's where he kind of made the decision to start changing his life, and he began this change in prison. So he began doing more boxing, and the prison service actually allowed him to train in the prison gym and let him out on day release to compete in championships, and he continued to win many of these while still being in prison. He got out and began his career as a professional boxer, now, he travelled to America for this and became one. And in his American boxing career, he fought nine, uh, he fought 10 fights, sorry, and actually won nine of them. But he decided to give up this career because he realised it wasn't about the actual boxing. It was all about the money and the name and the fame and everything. Whereas he was interested in boxing for the sport it was. So he returned to Edinburgh and for like the first time probably in a long time, he just didn't have a plan. Like his plan, obviously, while being in jail was he was going to be a professional boxer. And that now wasn't a thing. However, when he had returned to Edinburgh, his mum was unfortunately unwell. So he became like her primary carer. And 
as I said, like he was a huge family man. So he actually just enjoyed being back with his family and spending time with them. And I'm not 100% sure, but I think his brother had gone on to have kids. So just spending time with that kind of side of the family, especially if he's gone from Dale to America. He did continue boxing and his mum returned to good health. So he decided to really start focusing on boxing, but in a different way from just like fighting the sport. So in 2005, when he was roughly 35 years old, he opened a boxing gym in Edinburgh with his boxing career money. Now, this was opened up to help underprivileged kids channel their energy into something that just wasn't street fighting. And it was very clear it was only amateur, not professional. I don't know what gym this was. I know he went on to open the Holyrood gym, which was near Nidre. And I know he owned that up until his death. But I don't know if that was a gym he opened then. But if it wasn't, there was another one. Like, I'd love to know because I wasn't sure if it was. Now, he absolutely loved this job. Like He was really passionate about helping people like him when he was young and he worked with loads of volunteer organisations. Like He'd done loads, like doing things like a food bank appeal, raising like loads of food for the food banks. He worked with an organisation that donated bikes to like children's schools across the country and he also offered free boxing lessons to underprivileged kids. He also set up, um, worked with... Edinburgh's Helping Hands and also worked with Social Bite which are two like huge charities in Edinburgh um, if you don't really know them if you're not from Edinburgh give them a google they do great things um, he was also friends with local author Urban Welsh and they together kind of helped battle inequality in Edinburgh now he obviously turned his life around massively because he cared a lot about not only Edinburgh but the kids in Edinburgh and actually just giving them a different life than what he started off to have in 2008 he actually appeared in Danny Dyer's Deadliest Men. Have you watched this episode by any chance, Samantha? Or have if any of you have watched it, like let me know or go and watch it. Have you seen it? No, I've never seen oh, it before. I love Danny Dyer's Deadliest Men. So obviously he's in it. And you know, he comes across as who he is. He's a very loud, big personality person. And it's great. It's a really, really good episode. So definitely give it a watch. Now, over the next few years, he continued to run his gym and help charities, but he actually went on to have a daughter called Ava Tiger in 2011 with his girlfriend, Emma. However, in 2012, unfortunately, his mum passed away and he was distraught. And as you can imagine, like I'd say, that family was a huge thing for him. So this was really, really difficult time for him. In 2014, he was fighting again. And in like boxing, I mean, not like fighting. And he actually wanted to be in the Guinness World Book of Records for his mum. So he spent 24 hours in a boxing ring. I, I kind of don't get what he was doing. It's, I've got fighting 350 people, but I think it was obviously just the pads and everything. And he succeeded and raised lots of money for this charity. And he said that it was one of the most exhausting things he's ever done. But he done it in, in honour of his mum, which is a really cool thing to do. Now, Irvin Welsh attended, and obviously we all know, who Irvin Welsh is if anyone doesn't he was he is sorry uh author from Edinburgh and he wrote Trainspotting and those are really cool books so check him out but Danny Boyle was also at this now Danny Boyle directed Trainspotting which Irvin Welsh wrote and he asked Bradley if he would audition for a part in Trainspotting 2 T2 so he auditioned for a character named Mr Doyle um and basically this guy like intimidated all the characters blah 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 but he actually messed up his audition and ended up being too aggressive so didn't get the part however Bradley just knew this part was like his to play and asked Danny for another chance and he got another chance and ended up playing Mr Doyle in T2 and this film was released in 2017 so if you end up watching that film that is him 
Um, now, he was now engaged to his girlfriend, Emma, and carried on living his life, doing charity work and gym work, and just basically completely changing around from how his life had started out. Now, on Wednesday the 17th of April 2019, Bradley got up in the morning and left his family fo- uh, home, which was a flat in Chester Street, and went to work at his boxing gym in Holyrood, which I told you about, which is about a 20-minute drive away from his house. He had a match with another trainer at the end of the day, which he doesn't do that anymore. As I said, he kind of just does lessons and teaches other people how to box, but he obviously loved doing it. So he just has maybe like a wee play around with another trainer and then he drives home. Around 8pm, he got home and parked his car and headed to his stairs. Now, he actually saw his up the stairs neighbour, which his name was Edward Rennie, having a cigarette outside. So they had a brief chat kind of across the road and he walked across the street and headed down to his basement flat. This is when a man wearing a baseball cap approached him out of nowhere and shot him at point blank range in the head. He fell down the stairs and lay there and his neighbour Eddie didn't see anything but heard the bang and turned round and saw a man pointing a gun at him. He now then turned the gun to Eddie and told him not to look at him so Eddie hid behind a parked car and the shooter ran away. Eddie went straight over to Bradley and called 999 and stayed with him till he arrived. Another neighbour, Lucy, was heading home from work and saw a man outside Bradley's flat at this time and she saw the gun and basically just ran in the other direction. Now the ambulance crew arrived pretty quickly and tried to resuscitate him. However, Bradley unfortunately died outside his flat that night. Emma and Ava were obviously inside his fiance and daughter, and they didn't hear the gunshot or the commotion outside, but obviously they eventually found out that he had died literally outside the door. Police also arrived and cornered off the area, and that is when the murder investigation began. A police spokesman said they believed this was a targeted attack and nobody else in the community was at threat. However, obviously they like still patrolled and like made sure the kind of street was safe. Now the police were appealing for information and forensic officers searched the streets looking for like anything. And when I say like they searched the streets, they fingerprinted all the railings, all over Bradley's flat, like just basically trying to find out a clue like who would have done this and why. Because as I said at this time, he's living a very normal life, does he's boxing gym, does loads of charity things, like there wasn't a set reason of like why this would happen. They basically watched loads of CCTV in the area and requested dash cams to see if anything could show any witnesses or to show any suspects, sorry. And witnesses were interviewed and Edward said that he thought the guy was maybe 20 to 30 years old. He was wearing a puffer jacket and looked like he had fake tan on, which is really specific. And Lucy had noticed that he was wearing a baseball cap. So that gave him a kind of very brief, like a 20 to 30 year old man in a puffer jacket and a baseball cap in Edinburgh is very, very common. So that was obviously going to be really difficult for them to find. Now, once the CCTV was done, a picture emerged and it pointed to a man that police had found matching this description, walking towards his flat. Obviously, they can see him on the CCTV, but that doesn't say who it was. And this man was seen at 8.06, running away, holding what looked like a shotgun. And he was seen driving away in a stolen grey Ford Cougar. Now, that is basically great information but as I said they don't have a name like they've just seen a man on CCTV however the cougar was a beautiful piece of evidence because the cougar was stolen roughly a week before the shootings but it had a built-in tracker now they got the information from the tracker and basically watched the CCTV of the car going around the city on the lead up to the murder and just basically driving about and they were able to track the whole thing and the car was found three days after the murder Eight days prior to the shooting, the car was seen on CCTV slowly driving past Bradley's gym, stopping outside for six minutes and driving away again. And it passed the flat four times 
on the day prior to the murder. So, like, this person was clearly following him. And it's like, we obviously knew it was a targeted attack, but he's been stalking him for, like, eight days. And Bradley just, like, didn't know. CCTV was seen, like, and he was patrolling the streets an hour, working out his schedule, obviously, and, like, when to do it. So he was there from, like, an hour before he actually done it, so about 7pm. Now, he was unaware of the tracking device. He drove it to a small village outside of Edinburgh and dumped the car around 8.43. He then changed most of his clothes and was basically seen on CCTV, CCTV outside a pub and was collected by a friend and taken back to Edinburgh. Now, this is when the CCTV were able to help them identify their man. And it was a 28-year-old named Sean Orman. And on the 22nd of April 2019, five days after the murder, he was officially arrested and charged for the murder of Bradley Welsh. He completely denied the murder and said he was actually on a cycle at this time, which is rogue. I find that so, like, every time I've read this case, I think that's so wild. that He claims it's completely not him and he was actually just on, like, a nighttime cycle from Edinburgh to that, like, small town. But I'm sure it's the, the route he said he took, which I'm just like, what? Like, so he said it wasn't him, even though he has been, like, seen on CCTV. But... Yeah, he said he was riding a bike elsewhere when he was seen. <laughs> just anyway. why riding a bike? Like, yeah. Of all the things. Yeah, all like, things that's things. why I just, I just love it. Like, well, I think that's why he says, like, it definitely wasn't him, but also because he said he was out cycling on his own. So that's why he wouldn't be yeah. seen on any CCTV. He said he took this, like, really remote route, and that's why he didn't have any witnesses, because he was just cycling said cycling he cycled away. somewhere yeah he said he was cycling somewhere between Longstone and Kirk Newton yeah I wouldn't want to do that it's not for me no and also like I know it's summer but like at eight o'clock at night anyway obviously as he's been arrested loads of tributes are coming out and Danny Dyer released a tribute to him Irvin Welsh released a tribute to him and flowers hid scarves box and gloves and like flower like everything you normally see was left outside his house and at his gym as well. The funeral was held on the 7th of June 2019 at Morton Hall and his coffin was actually green for obviously the Hibs football team and roughly 1,000 people came. Like, that's nuts, yeah. Like, nuts. And of course, what funeral song do you think he had? Sunshine on Lee. Of course he did, yeah. Typical Hibs fan, Sunshine on Lee. And ten, his 10-year-old daughter, like, spoke at the funeral, which I think is obviously a really, really sad thing. Like, I know we do that a lot when we look into crimes. We obviously focus on the crime and the person, etc. But, like, he had a really young daughter who's, like, lost her dad, which is horrendous. Now, it wouldn't be until the 21st of April 2021 that the trial of Sean Orman started, which I was like, why did it take so long? Because obviously 2020 is just like blurred out of my Yeah, just like blurred out of my head. (laughs) But I'm like, all right, okay. Now, he, um, yeah, so this is when it started. And there was 15 charges against him. Murder, attempted murder, like carrying a firearm, assault, drugs like driving a stolen vehicle, stealing the vehicle, like name a charge, it was against him. Now the attempted murder was actually not of Bradley. It was actually of somebody else, a man called David David McMillan. Um, Now basically this all links back to a friend of Bradley's, which is a friend called Mark Richardson, who is a friend of his that lives in Edinburgh. It ended up basically that this Mark Richardson in 2011 and another man, who were in jail basically both men 
were involved with things in Edinburgh and they kind of clashed in prison. They had many run-ins and like Richardson had his face slashed at some point in prison and I think there was like rumours, like I don't think anything is proven and I'm not saying anyone did anything, but it was kind of rumours, this is who done it, etc. Now on the 13th of March 2019, mass men broke into David McMillan's home in Edinburgh and seriously assaulted him and his son in front of his wife. Now, days after this, Sean Orman was at a friend's house and admitted to this attack and said they were paid. Obviously, there's someone here in the house kind of hearing this conversation going on. I think it's a person whose house who owned the house's brother. He was also told, he said that he was told, he didn't say who by, but he said he would be paid £10,000 to kill Bradley Welsh. Um, so he also showed off the shotgun he had as well. Now, the friend's brother actually came forward and told the police about this, and that actually was brought up in court. And he said that, yeah, he'd contacted the police prior Bradley's death to basically be like, um, we should do something like that. And that is when the police issued Bradley with a threat to life notice, which I actually was like, what is that? But it's obviously, if they get a rumour that someone could be in danger or whatever, they are issued with a slight threat to life, like, be careful, notice kind of thing. And the investigation Imagine with the police. you get that though. You're like, what makes the police? Yeah, yeah, like, why is somebody hating me? Mm-hmm. Like, I'd be very scared. Now, obviously, and actually following this story, an investigation was done by the police watchdog and it was launched to look into the actions of the police with the actions taken prior to his death after getting that notice. And this has been sent to the Crown because like, it is a good question. Like, did they do enough? Like, how serious does it have to be? Like, if I was like, oh, I want to kill Samantha and like someone phoned the police and I was like, oh, okay, let's get it. but like if people are actually saying I know someone's been paid to kill him, like should they have done more? Like I'm not too sure. So on the 27th of April 2019, a further five um, like Edinburgh gangsters, whatever like, people were given these threat to life notices. Now, it actually came out as well during the court on the ninth day of proceedings against Orman. It came out that like there was this phone evidence. So basically, Orman and a person in prison had been like texting over WhatsApp, and he said that um, he basically like they were talking about guns and drugs, etc., but nothing about like the murder. Um, basically, they then like kind of had messages asking if they wanted to video call, etc. So he was like seen talking about it on a phone, like with someone in prison. So on Friday the seventh of May, twenty twenty one, after the twelve day trial, the jury took just four hours to find him guilty of the murder of Bradley Welsh and the attempted murder of David McMillan. Now, he was sentenced to life imprisonment with a punishment part of 28 years, um, basically, after he was found guilty of both of those. That's what he got. Now, on on sentencing, Lord Beckett made the following statement in court. You have been found guilty of murdering Bradley Welsh. For murder, the punishment is fixed by law. You'll be sentenced to life imprisonment. He actually basically mentioned as well his other criminal record, which extended from 2006 to 2019, he had nine convictions for assault, most of them aggravated, and he appeared for indictments for crimes of violence on four occasions. And he also had two high court convictions, one in 2009 when he was sentenced to 44 months detention for assault to severe, to severe injury and danger of life when on bail. And in 2015, he was made subject to an extended sentence of seven years with five year custodial term for three charges of assault and robbery two which involved um, a weapon all committed while he was on bail so like I know he didn't really have anything to do with Bradley Welsh and you know what's even sadder is if some mysterious person did hire him to kill him like he didn't actually know him and he just took somebody's life because somebody offered him money to do it which I think 
it's just like the worst thing ever you hear about crimes of passion people getting into fights but to actually just be paid to take a life that you don't know anything about is just horrendous there's obviously been loads of other theories out there but that seems to be the main reason of how Bradley Welsh was murdered he definitely did it and why like I think it's just one of those really sad things that like nobody will ever know really but to finish the story of Bradley Welsh I'm actually going to read you a poem that was found by Bradley's brother Sean written by Bradley himself and it's called For My Funeral If I Die Young and it says no matter what, right or wrong, I'm free. He he he. You see? Now try to be me. <laughs> I was expecting something <laughs> So I have not finished talking to you yet. As I said at the start, I have some updates of our previous cases that we have covered. And I thought I would fill you in so you don't have to read through all the articles and websites like I did. So the first one that's Thank actually you. back. That's yeah, so I've got you all. I've got you all. Um, so the first one we're going to talk about is Sheku Bio, which is mental to believe, but that was our second episode. That's oh how God. long ago. Yeah, Sheku Bio was our second episode that we ever covered on the Crime Pod. And basically, there was obviously, for everyone, if you don't know who I'm talking about with Sheku Bio, go back to episode two and listen to us talk about Sheku Bio. But basically, Sheku Bio was a young man who basically we're not sure what happened to lead to his death but he ended up dying in kind of police custody almost at the side of the road really wasn't it um and they said that it was mistreatment from the police but that is also linking back to the fact was it due to his skin color so basically an inquiry an inquiry into his death was announced in december 2019 basically considering all the issues including the circumstances of the death the post-incidence management the extent of which events leading up and basically were was anyone's like you know was anyone's opinions altered because of his race now the preliminary ple- i can never say that word preliminary hearing took place on thursday 18th of november 2021 so as we're recording that that was just a couple of days ago and as part of the inquiry it opened this all opened kind of november 2020 but it's basically started so in this hearing they're going to basically draw together all the evidence which was include race etc and basically what they're going to ask is had Mr Bio been white would he and his family have been treated in the same way and also had Mr Bio been white would the investigations have proceeded in the same way which it's a horrible horrible question to ask because I like to think that the police doing this kind of thing is not a thing that lives in the UK let alone Scotland but when we covered this case there was a lot of questions asked and the first public hearing is due to start on 10th of may next year now mr graham who works for the inquiry team i didn't get his first name has apparently so far gathered more than twenty-one thousand items which he is working through and basically a lot of the members of the family mr Bell's family attended the hearing in edinburgh now the family are unreal like it includes his two sons and the family have just you know six and a half years on they understand the, like how big this inquiry is but they have never ever given up on getting justice for him which is brilliant obviously and that's really lovely but obviously Police Scotland, Chief Constable Ian Livingston and a number of officers and even retired officers um, will be core participants in this investigation and basically hearing of what happened um, yeah but that's just kind of my update on that is 
nothing's really happened right now. It'll all kind of start, as I said, it'll be the first public hearing, it'll be May 10th next year. But it's really good that that's kind of rolling now and getting started, which... Yeah, finally, which is yeah, news, you know? Yeah, it is. It'll be nearly, well, it'll be seven years since he died, really, by the time it gets started. And I'd like to think it is all a huge misunderstanding and it wasn't anything to do with his race, but I don't think we'd be... I don't think I'd even be giving this update if there wasn't something there. The yeah, next person... We, we did oh, our research, you know, like, we spoke about the case and, it, you know, all the things that were said, like, come on. Yeah, definitely. It's, I think before... It's hard to... Yeah, before it starts next May, I would go back and maybe re-listen to it. I'll probably re-listen to our episode, to be honest, just to completely freshen myself up with the case before it starts. I know exactly kind of what happened, because it's very easy to say, like, oh, I know the story, but I don't remember it as clearly as I did when we recorded that back in the summer of last year, you know? The yeah. next person I'm going to talk about is episode 18 that we did, which is Renee McRae. Now, this is another case that, obviously... You remember the story, but you're maybe not 100% sure. So basically, Renee and her son, who was just a wee baby at the time, Andrew, went missing in 1976 up in kind of, oh, where was I in? Where was that? That's Ian? where you it was mentioned like, Culloden. That's Culloden, yeah. Culloden. Culloden, yeah, that's that episode. So yeah, that is way up kind of north. But basically, they went missing and nobody has ever been accused like nobody has ever been well they weren't really accused people were accused but never no one was ever charged etc however an 80 year old man has been judged fit to stand trial for the murder of Renee McRae and her son 45 years ago so it's William McDowell who I don't want to give you spoilers if you don't know the episode go and listen to the episode it was a great episode but basically she was having an affair with this man I'm pretty sure and he'll be tried in a jury eh, for the alleged, alleged crimes in the high court in Inverness in September so it's next year we've this got a lot going on next exciting. year but that is also brilliant that's 45 years ago and now he's that's basically mental. accusing he's basically been charged with accused of killing her and it'll hear evidence from beyond the grave in the form of like police statements and witnesses that have actually now died but they gave their statements to the police um there's obviously been concerns about his fitness to stand trial after he injured his neck falling off a wall in what has been told, like what's been classed as a, in quotations, bizarre accident at his home in Penrith, which he lives in Cumbria now. Um, he basically, his solicitor, her name is, um, or his name, sorry, is Murray McCara, basically told the High Court at Livingston yesterday that McDowell was wearing a neck brace and was consulting his GP. So... I don't really know okay. what kind of fitness situation he's in. However, discussion, <laughs> after full discussion of the Crown, he accepted that the trial date should be set while preparation of the case attempts to trace a number of potential witnesses. Now, basically, he's accused of killing them. And it's back then, obviously, I said it was kind of a lay-by in the A9. And that's the one where they were digging up the road at the time and all that stuff. Now, he's actually charged with causing them injury by unknown means and is as a result which they died and is thereby murdering them. So it's not just straight, like, murder. I think it was also, you know... He's also being charged with attempting to defeat the ends of justice and by disposing... Well, obviously, because he disposed of two bodies to means unknown. He is further yeah, alleged to... Yeah, he put them in the quarry, didn't they? Yeah, he's also further alleged yeah. to have disposed of a pushchair... Well, I'll go back to the quarry. Pushchair set fire to a BMW vehicle... 
and disposed of a boot hatch from the Volvo to conceal the alleged crimes. Um, he obviously completely denies all these charges, by the way. Well, yeah, there's talks of the quarry, but remember when the quarry was looked at? There's obviously, remember, the A9 was getting relayed as well, so there's talks of it actually, both of them unfortunately being in the road. There was loads of wild theories about that case, but even though it's next September, which I know is I still a year away, that's fantastic that actually 46 years on it'll be an 81 year old at that time will be going to court which I think from the start like we've always been very like unless someone tells me this person does it I'm never going to accuse people like we only read stories we're not anything but that but yeah, I think he's a bit dodgy <laughs> <laughs> like I'll go against that but yeah he was like when we were doing our, everything we read like every everyone's finger pointed to him so I think the fact that they've even after all this time still carried on and actually gotten to trial is brilliant so hopefully both these trials get the answers that the family are looking for because that's what it's about just going back to the one we just did there in Bradley Welsh it's actually these are stories to us yeah but it's people's lives it's people's world that are completely rocked upside down so hopefully in all cases justice is served